In this um, Second Corinthians series, we are faced with the issues of first century church 2,000 years ago. Yet, those issues are so relevant to our lives. The first issue that came up was affliction. How to deal with affliction and how it might be a faith attitude to um, deal with day-to-day stress and difficult times. And the second one last week was about misunderstanding. As a leader, and as a, in some form of your leaders, even in, ho- in your household, in your work, in your uh, community, when you're dealing with misunderstanding, how should we? Be guided by the Holy Spirit, by the guide, guided by the Scripture, and it was integrity and transparency. And today, when there is a need for correction, reproof in the community, how do we deal with that? And the answer is right here: forgiveness and restoration in community. But in order for us to draw the lesson. We need to look at the context and understand the background story first. So let's start with that. Bear with me as we, we went over this a few times already, but putting it all together, the, there are four things we need to remember. First one is the, the painful visit. After sending 1 Corinthians, the first letter of Corinthians, it's actually second letter. Remember the four letters uh, Apostle Paul wrote, and two of them, number one and number three, are lost. So after First Corinthians, which is the second letter, was sent, the report from Timothy, who was reporting by after delivering the letter, wasn't good. The very specific guidelines that Apostle Paul gave, Paul, Paul was disregarded, so in some sense, uh, disobedience, obvious disobedience was there. So Paul decided to, to visit. And changing his uh, travel plan, and by visiting, he wanted to make sure face-to-face the problem will be restored in, in such a way that uh, Paul's guidance as an apostle will be obeyed and guided. Actually, Paul was insulted by one leader, one of those people, but the church didn't do anything about it, uh, humiliated, and he had such a painful visit and as he left, the, uh, going to his original plan was going to Macedonia and come back again for the second time. But he went to Ephesus directly. And then, instead of coming back and visiting them again, he wrote a severe letter or sometimes it's called a tearful letter, the letter written with tears. Uh, Second Corinthians gives us a little bit of uh, glimpses of that. The scholars, uh, commentators are putting all these pieces together, reconstructing, and (coughs) uh, in today's passage, um, it brings up the consequence of all that, but in two four, chapter four chapter two verse four, Paul writes, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. We don't know what he exactly wrote. 
but it just took his tears and he, it was harsh letter and he was concerned. And he even said, I regret it because it might grieve you too much. So he was supposed to meet up with Titus who delivered the letter but Titus was taking too long to meet him at Troas, so he went over, crossed the sea, and went to Macedonia, waiting for T Titus to come. And he, it was a, such a great news, which is the third one, the repentance of the Korean, Corinthian church. Uh, chapter 7, verse 8 and 9 gives us a little glimpses of that. Paul writes, For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while, as it is, I rejoiced, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. They changed not only their attitude toward Paul and acknowledging his apostolic authority, but they obeyed what he commanded, which was the discipline on the offender. And there is a kind of still very unclear aspect about who this offender was. Some scholars will say it might be the same person in Second, First Corinthians chapter 5. Remember that? There was an incest the man who is living with mother-in-law, his father's wife. Did all not happen? But first, uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul commanded them to remove him from their fellowship. And we'll, that's part of the, the command and... Um, the Corinthians didn't follow. And because of their repentance now, they're saying, oh, we removed him, we disciplined him. Some other scholars say, oh, it could not be the, the person who had a, a sexual immorality. This is a person who is maybe a different person during Paul's painful visit who had just shown rebellion to uh, the Apostle Paul and just insulted him. He raised the divisiveness and whatnot. Another scholar said, well, two people might be the same person. We don't know. And we don't have to know. The only clear thing is that this person in this passage, caused so much pain in Paul during his visit. And because of that separation, anguish of heart between the Corinthian majority church, majority of Corinthian church, and the Apostle Paul. And the consequence of this discipline, he repented. And that's the context as we are going in. And what we see in this passage is key principles of what healthy and effective church discipline looks like. And there are at least four. Um, but as right before I just jump into this, I want to preface a couple of things. Number one, church discipline itself in today's world looks very different than first century. Um, not only it's not a politically correct word, but also the cultural adaptation and application looks so different. Why? Back in the days when first century, when you become a Christian, 
Your brothers and sisters in your community was all you got. So extreme case of church discipline was excommunication. Put him out of the community. Which means it's not just, uh, oh, you don't get to worship with them anymore. You don't have a connection of support and living. When you have a flat tire, you don't have anyone to call. A flat tire, you could fix it yourself or call it. <laughs> but when you, are, when you need some support, when your dad has a cancer, you don't have anybody to call. That kind of situation. And the purpose is that for, for that person to feel that separation and repent. But in today's world, and I, I've been in a large church, very uh, loosely led church, very secret sensitive church. If there's any sign of leaders disagreement, and if you don't like it, they pack up and go to the next church. So if you want to deal with some particular sin, you ought not to do this. The elders want to meet up with you. There is no sense of people's thinking and openness and even submission to that. Consequently, most churches do not practice church discipline at all in this sense anymore. There are quite a few people on the other extreme side, people who are into well-meaning people, but literal biblicism is applied in a way that word by word that we need to apply rather than principle guidance that it provided, so which becomes a harsh way of doing it. Both are not biblical at all. So what does a healthy and effective church discipline look like when we don't even use the word church discipline these days? There are four requirements. And as I mentioned, we do practice church discipline without using the word church discipline at all. Intensive shepherding, intervention, and one-on-one -on -one counseling, group conflict resolution, are all those are forms of church discipline in our church. But we need to be guided well. So how grateful am I to look at today's passage? So let's look at first principle. Healthy and effective church discipline requires both discipline and forgiveness. Before we talk about forgiveness, which is today's focus, well, we need to know what the discipline side looks like. That was the first, first letter of Apostle Paul's problem was that there is no discipline. Now, second letter concerns there is no forgiveness. So let's look at the discipline side first. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, 2, 2 and verse 5, as I mentioned, this, this is the case. It is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? And let him who has done this be removed from among you. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, his physical life body, so that his spirit may be saved, saved in the day of the Lord. Wow. <coughs> Such a strong, harsh word. So if you take that word by word, as I mentioned, biblicism happens, 
spiritual guidance is good, but biblicism is not good. What happens is you could take it to extreme and uh, abusive power of the leaders can happen. And uh, in the gray area, such as dancing and playing cards, this could be applied and legalistically, which have done, which haven't been, you know, in plenty of cases in church history, even Western society. So, what does discipline look like? This is an extreme case, but we go to Lord Jesus. For guidance, Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17, there are at least four steps or four stages of discipline. Number one, step one, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. He, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This is supposed to be first step and first stage of church discipline. Should I say discipline in the church? And this has to be practiced on a regular basis because we're all fallen sinners who are saved by grace of God will continually offend each other and the restoration and reconciliation must be on a regular practice. But we don't use the word church discipline here. Step number two, verse 16. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established So number four is a Satan scheme. <laughs> um, back to step number two. Uh, every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So I think this is like in your men's group or woman's group or, or even home group. This could be practiced in a healthy way. Uh, discerning way. If that doesn't happen, step number three is necessary. 17. If he refuses to listen to them after two, two or three people, tell it to the church, tell it to the congregation. And if he really doesn't still listen to it, go to number four. Step number four says, if he refused to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, unbeliever taken out of your spiritual community. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is chap step number 4. You don't go to step number 4 unless you do step number 1 and 2 and 3. If step number has taken care of the problem, you don't need to. You must not move on to the second number, step number two. Brothers and sisters, we need to trust in Lord Jesus, not just as our Savior, but as our Lord, who is wiser and smarter than in all issues of our life. And that's why scripture guidance is such a high regard in our church. Must be supreme authority, not one of those authorities. Remember, healthy and effective church discipline requires both discipline and forgiveness. And if you look at forgiveness side, Verse 5 and 7, today's text, Paul writes in that context that we just learned, now if anyone 
has caused pain. He, the offender, has caused it not to me. So notice the subtlety of Paul's style here. But in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For a such one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you must rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. He is actually on the offender's side, having already forgiven him. And he's like a gentle father. He offended me, but actually it offended you guys. In some measure. No, it was a very, very bad. But he goes, not to put it severely. Would you forgive him now? It's time to forgive him. So going back to Jesus' uh, guideline, it looks like this. Step number one, if you talk to that person, going to that person alone, that he receives your reproof and the resolve the conflict by apologizing, by confessing his sin or her sin to you, forgive him. Forgive him personally. It's not necessary to broadcast. He did this, but I forgive him. But if he doesn't listen and you take some people and it becomes a group confrontation, loving confrontation, forgive him. Forgive him. Forgive her privately, meaning within that group. The other home group, the other men's group, the other woman's group really don't have to know what happened in your home group, in your men's group, in your woman's group. Deal with that. Preserving the unity of the church. Step number three happens well, and that person actually repents. Now, whole congregation knows. Forgive him publicly. Acknowledge the church's release of that discipline. Accept him. This is what Paul is saying. And even stage four happens, which is what um, in Corinthian church case, he was, put, he was put outside of the community and went through much uh, pain and sorrow. And that sorrow resulted in Godly repentance, godly grief led into repentance. And if that repentance happened, even if he was once isolated, if and when he comes back to you with repentance, with open arm, lovingly, restore him, Here's one more. Um, the subtlety that I mentioned is that Paul's compassion, one who strongly ordered them to deal with that sin, is to plug that sin out of the community. Now, he says, That's not. It. That's enough. You should rather forgive and comfort him. And then, in coming verses, he even says, "Reaffirm your love for him." 
there might be churches that does operations management in a superb way. But this very simple practice is ignored. And I won't even mention it. We see in the news of ugliness of the spiritual community going through because of wrong, unhealthy way of church discipline. In his letter to Ephesian church, Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 31 to 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You see this? Restoring unity requires relational forgiveness, relational restoration, which requires our personal letting go of hurts and pain. And in this culture, we bought into this idea of forgiveness is a sign of weakness. So many lawsuits you could hear about it, you know, day in and day out. Popular movies, <coughs> and secretly, not so secretly, but we become honest among the men, and maybe some women as well. The movies that is so blockbuster movies that we all love to watch is one of those movies. One of my heroes was a Dirty Harry. It's all about taking revenge. Bruce Lee, oh my. There's a recurring theme in every movie. Forgiveness is a weakness. But when we do really forgive, this is what forgiveness looks like. Ken Sandy, who wrote The Peacemaker, which is a really excellent book, and um, in our home group, we used to go over resolving conflict. Uh, that's one of the themes that we're going to continually practice. And the home group leaders might teach that next year, beginning of uh, January again. If we biblically forgive, these are the promises that we are making. I will not dwell on this incident. Number two, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. Number three, I will not talk to others about this incident. Number four, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. About 10 years ago, this start streak mark was not there. And that little footnote was added. And I just realized I wanted to quote that correctly. Ken Sandy wrote, in cases of abuse, forgiveness can be and can and should include the establishment of safe boundaries for emotional and physical safety. Spousal abuse, uh, domestic violence, those things happen. And sexual abuse. But the important thing is, brothers and sisters, when we really do follow the guidance of the scripture 
about the things that we need to deal with, it is so healthy for us. So one, one of the concerns as a pastor I have, when I see unresolved conflicts in groups, or including me as well, And this is not so much of a difficult mental process. It's a matter of submitting to the scripture and our Lord Jesus and swallow your pride and be the first one. And usually, there are two to tangle, right? And if you're waiting, or if he or she says, you know, sorry, I will say I'm sorry too. No, restoration is in, in a way that you become the first one who, who take the way of the cross. Let's continually uh, practice that. And, as you can see, it starts with a very personal level. And then church leadership needs to lead the congregational church discipline, right? Which includes pastor and elders as well. The principle has to be same. Not because one, one leader is, has a super charisma or strong leader. One should not be exempt in that honest healthy process. And for that, I submit myself to you as well. And our elders have promised in this covenantal relationship they will not only protect me, but they will also hold me accountable. That's a healthy church. You don't need a six-figure co consultant coming in trying to troubleshoot organizational problem. We just need to apply simple principles that Scripture provides for us. Number two, healthy and effective church discipline requires a unified spirit and approach by the leadership and the congregation. Verse 5 to 7 again, but I'm focused on verse 6. For such a, uh, such a one, uh, this punishment by the majority is enough. By the majority. Remember during painful visit, apostle was not just a mere pastor like me. He was directly, personally sent by Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the authority of Christ has become Paul's authority. And if he wants to, he could forcefully use his apostolic authority and practice the church's plan on him. Why do you not do that? Because it's not healthy. The, the congregation is, is not backing him or supporting him. Church will be divided. Disaster will happen. Will it be effective discipline on that person or offender? No, he will not repent. The wisdom that I see is that Paul took the way of the cross. He humbled himself. He took the pain voluntarily and went away and waited until the congregation repents and becomes a majority. When I see so many incidents in, in today's world, even some churches that I know who have not done this, and then if I listen to why I did, did that and why the Leadership and elders have made a decision. To makes total sense. 
but they were washing it. The congregation was doubtful. Why was that process really necessary? You didn't explain enough? Oh, that seems so harsh. How did you come to that? These steps that they took behind the scene was not shared. Or was not was ignored. So what I see here is not only Paul's wisdom, but our need for deliberate and diligent work to be on the same page as we are working to restore a person, a family, a couple. And let me tell you this. See, easier said than done. I wish I I could have all our elders think like me. But they're so different. Which means I have to take diligent, diligent and deliberate work of waiting for them to emotionally process and come. And even going forward, our facility issue, I rushed a little bit. Are we on the same page? Do we understand? Do people see this is a just and fair process or power play of leaders? People see it. Or power play of overprotection of a certain leader. So this is very helpful. Very, very enlightening to me uh, as I think about our church situation as well. Number three principle, healthy and effective church discipline requires twofold purpose of restoration of the disciplined member and edification of the church. At first, I wrote it this way. Healthy and effective church discipline requires a single, clear focus of restoration. You know why that is? The restoration of the discipline member and restoration of the body. But restoration of body is not clear, so it's implied. I, I wanted to say the edification, building up the body. Look at verse 7. So you should rather turn to forgive and Comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Contrary to common belief the purpose of church discipline is not punishment it's not retribution it is restoration to restore that person and sometimes some of my pastor friends who fallen and removed from the ministry, removed from the church and congregation in the name of church discipline. And I rarely see the pastor being restored, continually loved and cared and healed through the process. Oftentimes, it's just the self-protection of the organization. Or, if it's a regular member case, just getting rid of that person and somehow, and usually in today's culture, once again, 
you don't really have to go to number four step because they just leave. Or some cases they put a lawsuit against the church. But typically they just leave. They don't like it, what's going on. But do we have restoration in mind? Paul's heart here is already there. I want him to be restored. When I said, put him out of the uh, community, uh, that wasn't just to punish him, (coughs) to restore him so that you guys can gain or win a brother to to yourselves again. To be one healthy body, community. Second purpose is to purify and edify the church as an interconnected the body, interconnected body of Christ. First Corinthians, when he was mentioning about uh, the need for discipline and he goes on further and why. Verse 6 in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 and 7. Your boasting is not good. By the way, why, is, why, why are they bo- boasting? Because they took the grace of God and our church can, can even, we could even embrace these people who are broken. So they were so proud of. So this is very familiar in our church in our cultural context too, right? We love everybody. But when someone is sinning or someone has gone away doctrinally, if we just watch that person, it's almost like watching a person, watching your friend walking toward to the cliff or getting worse and worse in drug abuse or alcohol abuse or sexual abuse. Would you do that? Of course not. (coughs) The reason why the the byproduct of really restoration is restoration of the body, he he goes on, says in verse 6, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? The yeast makes affect the whole dough. In other words, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. In other words, if we let that sin or healthy, unhealthy behavior continually go on, on a bro- broken relationship really continually go on, it's going to affect the body. So going back to two purposes. It's not the punishment. It's not a cheap grace. But continually purification of body by restoring the offender. Lovingly. The ultimate purpose is restoring that person and restoring the body. Number four and last principle, healthy and effective church discipline requires mature wisdom and vigilance against Satan's scheme. Indeed, Paul writes in uh, the latter part of verse 10, why what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. This is so good for our church as well. Because what might be going on whenever we try to do any kind of reproof with noble mind? Spiritual battle happens. 
Brothers and sisters, have you seen the churches getting divided and just split in a disaster way? The kids get affected because of this ignorance or lack of vigilance against Satan's scheme when there is a serious issue in the body. So, when you think about why do you need to pray for the elders and pastor? Because if the elders and, uh, and pastors are not seeking vigilance, spirit dependence, humility, in our own fleshly desire, rationalizing our, our thinking can step into very dangerous zone of Satan's snare and his scheme. And the vigilance is required not just by the leadership, but every member as well. I want to gently and firmly affirm you and encourage you and challenge you would you be vigilant in your men's group, in your woman's group, in your home group? With humility, don't put yourself higher, don't put yourself more wiser. Seek the dependence of the Holy Spirit because of your humility as well. Thank you. This last quote that I'm going to close in closing is um, powerful and summarizes what we've been talking and med meditating on so very well. Um, <clears throat> Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and many of you heard me quote him, uh, he was a German pastor, young pastor who um, was going against the Nazi Germany because of biblical principle. And he's known as, a, a, you know, his resistance and death by the Nazi Germany right before the World War II was ended. But he's also known as person who wrote on this phenomenal books on life together. So, but church life, community life. And one of the essential things that he addressed, without the naming the name of church discipline, he writes this, and this is so good. Bonhoeffer writes, Reproof is unavoidable. God's word demands it when a brother falls into open sin. The practice of discipline in the congregation begins in the smallest circles where defection from God's word in doctrine or life imperils the family fellowship and with it the whole congregation, the word of admonition and rebuke must be ventured. Nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that co-signs another to his sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. It is a ministry of mercy, an ultimate offer of genuine fellowship. When we allow nothing but God's word to stand between us judging and succoring, then it is not we who are judging. God alone judges, and God's judgment is helpful and healing. Ultimately, we have no charge but to serve our brother, never to set ourselves above him, and we serve him even when we must speak the judging and the dividing word of God to him. Even when in obedience to God, we must break up fellowship with him. We must know that it is not our human love which makes us loyal to that person, to the other person, but God's love 
which breaks its way through to him only through judgment. Just because God's word judges, it serves the person. He who accepts the ministry of God's judgment is helped. By judgment, he doesn't mean final condemnation. He means God's discipline. Um, let's continually work diligently, uh, deliberately for the unity of the church as we deal with the several levels, you know, not just level four, uh, the step four part, but step one, two, three part of discipline and forgiveness. And may our hearts stay remain tender-hearted. And broken toward our own need for Savior, our own forgiveness. And that's why even Jesus prays us to pray for our, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then after the prayer, he repeats again if you do not forgive your brother or sister, your heavenly Father will not forgive. And even Matthew 18, the principle of four steps of loving confrontation, you know what story comes on the parable of the unforgiving servant? The crescendo of must forgive if you belong to God the Father who has forgiven you. I know this was an easy message to preach, easy message, message to listen, but you could sense the purity. It just feels very, very healthy for our spiritual life, for our community life, isn't it? Let's receive it and obey. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wisdom in guiding us through this, how to deal with uh, offense and offender and spiritual community. Help us to obey not only in discipline, but also in forgiveness. We pray that forgiveness and restoration will continually be regularly practiced within our community for the health of the body, for the glory of God, for joy our community. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.